Thanks again. And they'll be back at the end, right, Tyler? Yeah. All right, we're good to go. I don't do scary. I've never done scary when I was like a little kid. I didn't do scary like I had to have either a nightlight or I had to have the, uh, so there we go. Good job. I had to have a nightlight or I had to have the hall light on and the bedroom door opened a little bit. So I, I was always like that and uh, didn't like to be left alone or, or anything. And as I got older, I went off to like junior high and then you start doing things like haunted houses at Halloween and everybody like, let's go to the haunted house. I'm like, oh no, please. And uh, my rule for a haunted house is there has to be at least three because there has to be somebody right in front of me and somebody right behind me because I don't like it when people are jumping out in the dark and, and, and screaming at me. And I don't like scary movies either. I, I um, They just, you know, I do good enough with, with nightmares on my own. I don't need help. And I, I remember when I was in high school, I went to a haunted house at a church, another church in the area. And while we were waiting to go through the haunted house, they showed this movie. And it was called, it was called Premature Burial. It was like an old Edgar Allan Poe story that they made into a movie. It came out in like 1962, and it was like black and white. And I can still see scenes of that movie in my mind because I was so scarred from that event at that church that I went to. But anyhow, I don't really like that. And you know, I don't really understand the, the modern day fascination with some of this stuff, like the zombie thing. I, I don't get it where people get really into these movies and these stories where people come out of the graves and they're kind of wrapped like mummies and they, they walk around and they eat people. I just don't get it. And uh, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. But today we're looking at a story that kind of has that feel to it because we have a guy who comes out of the grave and he comes back to life and he's wrapped in all of these clothes. The good news is he doesn't eat anybody, at least that's not included in the story, so I don't think so. But we're talking about the story of Lazarus today, and it's the last of our seven wonders, these seven miracles that are recorded in the book of John. And every one of them is something that John picked to say, hey, pay attention to this, not just because of the miracle, but pay attention to this because of what that miracle teaches us. Specifically, what does this miracle teach us about Jesus? In his whole underlying premise of the book is that every one of these miracles proves to us that Jesus is actually the Son of God, and so we need to believe on him. And so this morning, we're going to look at that uh, miracle in, in, uh, about Lazarus. It's in John chapter 11. If you want to get there, if you brought a Bible, or if you got your phone with you or your device, you can look it up there. We'll be in John chapter 11, reading quite a bit of the story here. But just as we get started here, let's just have a little quiz to see how many of the seven uh, miracles, the seven wonders that John records in, the, in his book we can remember here, all right? So the first one shows up in John chapter 2, which is the miracle or the sign of what? Water to wine. Very good. Okay, the second one I think is in John chapter 4. And this is the maybe the hardest one to remember. I don't know. Does anybody remember? John chapter 4. Jesus, here, I'll give you a hint. Jesus was in Cana. The miracle took place in Capernaum, maybe. It was the raise, or excuse me, it was the healing of the nobleman's son or the royal official's son. All right. Number three, uh, miracle number three is in John chapter 5. Took place at a place called Bethesda. Okay, I'm feeling good right now, let me tell you, okay? 
So it was the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, right? Rise, uh, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, the next one's in John chapter 6. It's a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Lots and lots of people were here for that one. There was food involved. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better here. I got feeding of the 5,000. Then, right after the feeding of 5,000, there was a miracle that took place on the Sea of Galilee. Chris talked about it in week number five, and that was the... Walking on water, okay? And then last week we talked about this, and hopefully we're going back seven days now. This is a little bit scary, but seven days where he was sent to the pool of Siloam. What was the miracle? Man, man, born blind. All right, there we go. And so John lays these out in his book. They're not necessarily chronological. They might be, but he's not really worried about the chronology of these he picks these seven miracles because each one of them makes a point, and he gets to this miracle of Lazarus, and it's like, okay, I saved this big one right for the end here because this, if, if you're not convinced up to now that Jesus is God, wait till you hear this story because after this story, you're going to be totally convinced because, I mean, where else in history do we have a story of somebody taking a guy who had been four days in a grave and bringing him back to life? And so we dive into that this morning, and I want to look at that because I think this story really connects with life, especially on, on several different levels. First of all, who hasn't lost a loved one and experienced the pain that comes with that? And, uh, and, and so you feel with characters in this story who, who lose a loved one. Or who hasn't had this situation come up in your life where you've kind of been disappointed with God. Like you prayed about something, you hoped for something, and you thought maybe it would come through like, you know, like God could come through, and then he didn't really show up like you are expected. And maybe we've experienced that as well. Or maybe this morning where it really connects with you and it connects with me is because you need a resurrection-type miracle. A resurrection-type miracle is a miracle that takes a situation that's basically dead on arrival, where you're like, this is hopeless, this could never work out, there's no chance of this happening, and Jesus says, oh yeah, watch me. And maybe you've got one of those situations in your life right now, maybe it's something going on at work, or your family, or, or just a personal thing that you're dealing with and wrestling with, where you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And you just kind of give up, and it's like, yeah, this is going to work. And Jesus is like, oh wait, 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 time out. Do you know who I am? Let me tell you a story. And so it's in, included in John's gospel here. And so let's just read it this morning. And as we go, I want to make five observations about Jesus, what we can learn about Jesus. And as it relates to stories like this, stories of ours that are like this too, where we're like, you know what? I need a resurrection miracle. Verse number one, John chapter 11. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this is a family that's familiar to us. Um, that's uh, st another story recorded, recorded of them in Luke's gospel. And, and so John just kind of refers back to them. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it's an interesting message from two standpoints. First of all, they don't really ask for anything. They just send a messenger, and the messenger arrives and says, okay, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Uh, Lazarus, the, the one you love, is sick there. But the other thing that's interesting to me about that message is their hope is based on Jesus' love for Lazarus and, and actually for them too, not on being deserving. 
And as we've gone through this entire series looking at these miracles in the book of John, that's something that to me has just jumped out every time. Is Jesus, when these people come to Jesus or need a miracle, and a lot of times it's almost like Jesus is going to them, it's not like they say, Jesus, please do this for me because I have, and they list all these things they've done. But Jesus shows up in their story and says, let me do this for you because that's who I am, and that's what God is like. And when we get to these situations in our life when we may need that resurrection miracle, sometimes it's like, well, but I don't deserve it because I'm not good enough or because, you know what, I, I probably just haven't, you know, gotten, you know, scored enough points on, on the spiritual scoreboard here for Jesus to do something, and that's not how it works. Jesus does what he does based on his love for us, and that really brings us to the first point this morning, and it's this, Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. It's that simple. Jesus loved Lazarus, but Jesus also loved Mary and Martha, and Jesus loved the disciples who were part of this story, and we're told later on that everything that Jesus did here was to teach the disciples a, a lesson, a truth that would be helpful to them. But Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people like named Brent, and that's good. It, and, people, and Jesus loves people like whatever your name is because he loves you. In fact, this morning, if Jesus were to show up, he could point at every one of you and say, I know your name, and let me tell you something else, I love you. Like, think about that. How much we are loved by Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we're exempted from pain, because Jesus loved Lazarus, and Lazarus died, and he loved Mary and Martha, and they were going through this grief process, and he loves the different ones of us, but it doesn't mean that it's like, okay, everything's going to just be like this nirvana here. No, he lets us go through these painful times, and he lets us go through struggles and difficulties, but the fact that you're going through it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you, and sometimes we get that way. Well, I must have done something wrong, or God must kind of be mad at me right now, or I guess I've fallen out of favor here. There's nothing in this story to indicate that. The truth is that Jesus loves you regardless of what you're going through. And those circumstances may not be something that's actually like to, to push you down. That the circumstances you are going through might be something that ultimately raises you up. Well, we keep reading here, and it says this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. So this gives us the basis of the rest of the story. First of all, what Jesus does here is because he loves people. And secondly, what Jesus does here is because his primary purpose is to glorify God. And he says, this is going to end up okay. And maybe that's the word that you need to get this morning, whatever that situation that you're facing is, to realize that it's going to end up okay. Because of the second point here this morning, and it's this, Jesus has a plan for your situation. So Jesus loves people. He loves you. He loves you so much that this situation that you're in, he's got a plan. And, and the plan that leads it to a positive end at some point in some way. Now, maybe not what we're picking, maybe not when we're picking, but he is sovereign and ultimately in control. And maybe for us this morning, we just need to relax a little bit. Because it may not look great, but we can still look at this and go, okay, but it's not over yet. And maybe it's going to be okay because Jesus has a plan for 
your situation. And we keep reading here. Verse number five, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that idea is repeated again, isn't it? Because as we look at this story, the plan that Jesus has doesn't seem to be very loving. And John just points it out again and says, ah, I mentioned it before, but let me mention it again. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That just kind of bugs me. I've got to be honest. Here's this guy that he loves who's in a desperate situation, and Jesus says, well, thanks for sharing. And then he just stays put for a day, and then he stays put for another day. And he doesn't do what they had hoped for, which I think was healing. And he didn't go right away. He didn't communicate. He didn't really tell people what he was up to. He didn't spare them the pain. He didn't put their personal interests first, but he still had a plan, and he chooses to do nothing then because he's got something big that he's going to do later on. And I'm, I'm just a person who, who really wants to live in the now. So, Jesus, I have this big problem, and I'm praying about it. I'm trying to do what I can about it, and I just need you to come through now. And Jesus says, I have a plan, and I love you. However, it may not be now. Well, finally, in verse number 7, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And that's where the area where, where Lazarus lived. And so they, they get ready to go, and the disciples are like, well, do, do we really need to go? Because they realize that they go back to Judea, that kind of gets all the Pharisees and all the religious leaders all worked up. And it's like, this is probably going to be dangerous if we go back here. And we're really not sure we want to put ourselves in this kind of danger. And and Jesus is talking to them. He says, no, 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 we need to go back because we need to wake up Lazarus. And they're like, well, if, they're, if he's just sleeping, let somebody else wake him up. That'll be a whole lot safer for us. He's like, finally, he gets down here into verse number 14, and he says to them plainly, oh, guys, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead because Jesus knows everything. And as we look at this thing where Jesus loves us and Jesus has a plan, it all makes sense when you just understand that Jesus knows. Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what's happening in your circumstances. Jesus knows what the best possible outcome is. Jesus knows the best way to address things. Jesus knows the best time to address things. Jesus knows how to get the job done. Jesus knows. And there's never a moment in this story where Jesus didn't have complete control because Jesus had complete knowledge at all times. And whatever your situation is right now, Jesus knows. Well, in verse number 17, Jesus arrives and found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this was not news to Jesus. That was just when he got there. But it's interesting, if you do the math in this situation... We don't really know how far away Jesus was when he got the news. He could have been a day's journey away. He could have been four days' journey away. But the truth of the matter was, if he was just like a day away, then he got the news too late because Lazarus had been dead four days. And if he had been four days away, he had no way to get back before Lazarus was going to die. So there was actually no way for Jesus to get to the scene in time to save Lazarus. Now, he could have done what he did with the nobleman's son and, and stood where he was and said, okay, Lazarus, it's going to be fine over there where he is. 
But there is no way that otherwise it would have worked out. So we're always, in a sense, working with a situation where we're working with Lazarus' death. Well, we keep reading here. It says in verse number 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So she gets word ahead of time, evidently Jesus is on his way, and so she runs out there to meet him, and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you what you asked. And when we read that, it, it seems to be almost a little bit chiding. Jesus, we had this problem. If you just showed up, it, it would have been fine, but you didn't get here in time, and now we've got this situation. But if you understand the fact that, that literally speaking, Jesus couldn't have even gotten there in time, Martha had to know that. And so this really probably should read more like Martha saying, yeah, Jesus, he's gone. I wish you'd just been here. Because if you'd been here, well, we probably wouldn't have lost him. And it's not, it's not a scolding of Jesus for, for not taking time. It was just that, that expression of, of her belief and her faith that says, I know you could have healed him. I just wish you would have been here at that time. And Jesus is getting ready, though, to take her, deep a whole, or her faith a whole lot deeper from just you know healing somebody to actually raising somebody from the dead. And then she tacks on that little phrase there in verse number 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? And you have to wonder if she's referring back to what the, maybe the messenger hold or, or heard when he first came to Jesus and Jesus said, what, this is not going to end in death, but it's going to end in the, in, the, in the glorification of the Father here. And maybe the messenger came back and said that to Martha. You know what, Jesus, I don't think he's coming, but here's what he said. So I don't really get it, but let me just give you the word that was, was said back there. And I wonder if Martha is just kind of floating that one out there. Like, the messenger came back and said that this one ended death. Like, is, is that going to happen? And Jesus responds to her, verse number 23, your brother will rise again. Well, it's not really clear to her at that point. It's just like, just like comfort and sentiment, like, hey, you know, we're all, we're all going to be together again someday. We're all going to rise again. And, and just like we say to sometimes people at, at, at a funeral, hey, we know we're going to see that person again. And so it's, it's not exactly clear. So Martha keeps going. She says, I know we will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Is that what you're talking about? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? And I'm guessing it probably hit Martha like, okay, I guess we're talking about the final resurrection then, aren't we? And she replies, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And Mary comes out and, and has a conversation with Jesus as well. We jump down to verse number 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he has a very emotional response here. And actually, the, the, the original language there, it said that Jesus, the word that was used there would have been like the same as like Jesus snorted in anger. It was a, a word that was used for, for animals when they snort. And so Jesus heard this and there was like, his initial reaction was anger when he saw the grief of the people because I think he looked at this and said, it wasn't supposed to be this way. 
When we created the world, everybody was supposed to live forever. There was never supposed to be this grief and this sorrow like there is. And I think there was probably just a moment of anger and frustration at, at the effects of sin in the world. And then he says to them, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, they replied. And then Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he, lo how he loved Lazarus. And it brings us to this third point here. Not only does Jesus love people, not only does Jesus have a plan for our situation, but Jesus enters into our pain. I love the fact that he shows up here and he's, no, he's, he's going, the whole intention here is to raise Lazarus again. It's going to have a happy ending to this story. And yet when he stands there with Mary and Martha and these other people who've lost Lazarus, what does he do? He just weeps with them. Puts his arms around him and says, I'm so sorry. And he feels their pain. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but you have a God who knows, and you have a God who cares, and you have a God who's working according to his plan, but you also have a God who enters into your pain with you. You're not alone in that. And pain can be incredibly isolating. And pain can, can make you feel like you're the only one. And Jesus says, but you're not. Because I'm in this pain with you. And once more, verse number 38, Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor. Or I like what the King James Version says here. By this time, he stinks. Because he has been there for four days. And with this four days that he's been in the grave, we've got a no-doubter now coming on the miracle. Like, ah, oh, did he just faint? Or was he just kind of, you know, like really, really sick and it just seems like he was dead? Now, he's been in the grave now for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you, though, that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And so they take away the stone. Even over Martha's objection, and probably Martha and Mary were the ones actually who probably had to give the word to say, okay, go ahead, move the stone. But can you imagine that in that moment? Where Jesus is standing there and he says, move the stone? Seriously? <laughs> you know, he stinks. Like, what are we doing? This is going to get kind of, you know, dicey here. But here's the truth. Jesus usually involves us in his miracles, but he involves us as partners. Think about these signs that we've looked at in the book of John. If we want to have wine, what do we have to do? We have to fill the water jugs. If you want your son to be healed over there in Capernaum, what do you need to do? You need to go home here from Canaan. If you want to be healed so you can walk again, you need to, you need to rise up and walk. If, if we're going to feed everybody here, you're going to have to feed them, disciples, and you need to have them sit down. If, if you're going to see again, you need to go wash in the pool of Siloam. If you want to see your brother again, you need to roll the stone away. And we see this pattern repeated where Jesus says, yeah, I've got something big, but you know, we're going to partner in this. And so as you look at that situation this morning, maybe where you're like, I need a resurrection miracle, the question is, well, what can you be doing about it? And, and what you might be doing about it might be scary. And, and what you might need to do about it might even stink. Who knows? 
But the challenge there is for us to show faith and to take the risk and to step into the story. Well, Jesus says here in right, verse 41, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me, so that they might believe that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off those clothes and let them go. And I love the, just how personal that is. Lazarus, come out. Now, some preachers have said that Jesus needed to address him by name because if he just said, come out of that grave, everybody would have come out. I don't know. But Lazarus, I know where you are, Lazarus. I know what's happening in your story. I know, Lazarus, that you're dead. Lazarus, come on out of there. And I don't know what the situation is in your story, but he calls us sometimes by name. But it brings us to that fifth point this morning. And it's really the point of the miracle and what this sign is teaching. Jesus is the God with resurrection power. Jesus is the guy with resurrection power. We live in a world today where we have learned how to harness power, where, where you can take a, a, a dam and how we can harness the power of water and turn it into electricity. And we, we can go see buildings get raised by how we use explosive. And we, we have learned how to harness power. And even, even in the technology that we have here today, we've harnessed this power. But we haven't figured this one out yet. We haven't figured out how to bring the dead back to life. And we never will, because that power is reserved for Jesus. But in your story, he can bring life from death. That happens in salvation. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're dead in our sins, the Bible says. And then Jesus calls us, and he gives us new life when we accept him into our lives. But it's true in the everyday, too. Because it can be completely dead, whatever it is that you're facing, but Jesus still brings life. He can bring life to a dream that's died. He can bring life to a relationship that's died. He can bring life to a situation that seems completely hopeless. He can bring life to a broken heart. He can bring life to a wrong that's been forever that way and change that around. He can resurrect what's dead. And so there's five simple truths here this morning that we learn about Jesus. The first one is that Jesus loves people. Jesus has a plan for your situation. Jesus enters into our pain with us. Jesus often asks us to partner with us. But then that last thing is this. Jesus is the God of resurrection power. Let me just give you one final thought here as we wrap up this morning. Oftentimes, if we go to a visitation or we go to a funeral or a cemetery or when we lose someone, we often, we often use these letters, R-I-P, and they mean what? Rest in peace. But let me just suggest this morning that as followers of Jesus that those letters can mean something different. And let me take you back to verse number 25 where Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Here's what I think RIP should stand for. The resurrection is promised. The resurrection is promised. And that's true for us as we look at eternity, that even if we die and, and, and if they put our bodies in the grave, we know that the resurrection is coming and our, and our bodies and our souls will be reunited and will be reunited with, with Jesus and God live forever. But let that also be a reminder to us, even in our situations that look so hopeless, that we have a God of resurrection power. Death is no challenge. Because Jesus can look at a situation and say, okay, Lazarus, you've been dead for four days. That's long enough. Come on out. The resurrection is promised. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we celebrate you this morning and the God that you are. And we believe in you. And we believe in you because you conquered death, not just the death of Lazarus, but your own death when you rose from the grave after dying on the cross. And so we celebrate that this morning. But I pray for the people out here, for the person who needs a resurrection miracle. I pray that you give it to them. I pray that you'd bring that to them. I pray that you would give them the faith to believe that and then the courage to take the action that they can. So as we sit here this morning in our quietness of the moment here in, in, in the park, maybe this is your moment. Maybe Jesus brought you here because he wanted you to be reminded of how much he loves you. Maybe he brought you here because He's just still kind of leaning on you to take a step that you can take. Or maybe he just wanted to remind you that he has resurrection power. And if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the God that he is. And so I would encourage you to take that step and put your faith in him. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your goodness and for your power. I pray that it would impact us today, through the rest of this day, and then as we go into this week, we ask this all in your name. Amen.